Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the tea in your tea, little Tom Fitzgerald. I'm here with the low in your tea, little Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, sweetie? Fine. Are your dials up to 11? Energy yes. up? Fully caffeinated? Yes. I'm very excited, too. I was I actually, you know, I, I put a lounge together every day. But today was the first time that I look at those pictures. I was like, Wow. We need to go to Greece. We need to go to Santorini. Yes. I mean, yeah, now I want to travel. I mean, after our, our trips to Vegas and DC, I was like, all right, I need to travel. We need to travel. They weren't even epic trips, but they actually laid us out for like a week afterwards. Right. We were so out of practice, and I wound up getting a, a cold that I'm still trying to get over. But... But all things considered, you know, if we're packed into a casino with a thousand people and the worst thing I got was a cold, I guess it was a pretty good trip. Yes, yes. Um, we tested our vaccinations. We tested our vaccinations, exactly. And they <laughs> passed with flying colors. But yeah, I do want to travel. I was looking at those pictures and, you know, I'm usually not impressed with them because I'm the one putting them together. But today I was like, wow, this is beautiful. We need to be there. <laughs> we're, we're making tentative plans to go to Europe to a couple different places in Europe this fall. All, and it will be the first time in a really long time we've done that. Um, right now. Not to whine or anything, because our life is great, and we're very happy with yes, that's true. with our um, our business and our career. But uh, this is not the kind of job that allows for extended vacations. We actually haven't had one in over ten years because you can't really be you can't wander away from a website for ten days. There's right. no it, there's nobody else on staff. If Tom and Lorenzo aren't publishing, Tom and Lorenzo right. doesn't get published. And so. you made a very good point when you mentioned Vegas and the hotel. I mean, and you know, it sounds so wonderful. You're in this beautiful hotel and you're typing away, but it doesn't work that way. Right. It, it's just yeah. It it. Because you're there to have fun or have a good time. You want to go out. You want to be by the pool. And then you're typing boats. So right. It just doesn't work. Uh, it's but not the same. That is the nature of the yeah, beast. Right. We are our own bosses where we get to do what we want. So it's a trade-off. We're not complaining. No, absolutely not But it is the nature of the beast is that we don't get to do extended vacations. And even if, if or when we go to Europe later this year, we'll probably work every day while we're in Europe. Right, right. Um, just to produce content. So We have to. Yeah. You have to. There's there's no, I think I brought this up in the last um, uh, podcast, but uh, to, to uh, the subscribers of our newsletter, thank you so much for your patience, because sure enough, we launched a newsletter, and then I ran into almost a full month of not publishing, because because we were traveling and everything like that. Our focus was elsewhere, and I just wasn't able to give it, uh, and Lorenzo and I talked about it in, you know, like in the past week or two about not publishing the newsletter after asking so many people to subscribe, but um, I am of the firm opinion that unlike a blog, which absolutely you publish five days a week, if you don't publish, you're not in business. So every day, Monday through Friday, you get up and you publish something, come hell or high water. That's why we joke about going out to the content forums to find things. But uh, my take on the newsletters, because it's a, a subscription email newsletter and no one's paying for it, it's a free subscription. I don't want to publish unless there's something worth publishing. I'm not going to publish to meet a deadline. I'm not going to publish to meet a quota. Mm -hmm. I'm going to publish when uh, we have something, we pulled something together worth discussing. Uh, and so anyway, long story short, to those of you who have been 
waiting, apparently. <laughs> I don't even know if any of you have. We haven't abandoned the newsletter, but not by a long shot. In fact, I'll be back to it this week. But travel and... Stronger and, than ever. And book proposal, not book proposal, book promotion stuff. You know, there's only so many slices you can get off of Tilo before you're, <laughs> you know, you're, the slices start getting too thin. So we'll be back to that next week. We are just, you know, small talk kind of thing. We are um, entertaining this weekend and it is not something know. we are completely out of practice with this. Have no idea how to, what dishes we're supposed to be using. What? Oh, there's no alcohol in the house. I've got to run out tomorrow and get stuff. Oh, yeah. um, I had no idea how to plan a menu because it's been, you know, it's actually been more like two years since we've done anything right. because in the months leading up to the our book coming out, we weren't doing a lot of entertaining. Oh, I, think, I think it was before Christmas, actually. Yeah, so like December nineteen. 2019. 2019 was yeah. probably the last time we did any sort of entertaining. And um, so, yeah, we're completely thrown uh, out of it this week. And, and I haven't even started putting together a menu for tomorrow. It's tomorrow night. It's not like a big <laughs> dinner party. We're just having people over. But um, it is literally the first company. But we like to do company. it right. Yes. Well, yes. Yes, we do. So, so um, we're, we're thrown into a tizzy over that because it's something... You know, it's one of those return to normalcy things that, you know, when it happened, you're like, oh, God, I forgot. I completely forgot how to do this. Like, um, for the longest time, when we were really seriously on lockdown and then we went back out into the world, I completely forgot how to use a... um and like an ATM machine. Uh, <laughs> oh I completely God. forgot how to use it, how to use my card to purchase things oh, or dear. how to scan things myself at the self-purchase, oh per, my God. you know, checkout counter. So it's just funny how those things atrophy. But when it comes to entertaining, we're lucky that we have Uncommon Goods in our lives. Yes. Um, because we're going to be using Lorenzo's favorite new cheese wheel, his personalized I cheese know. wheel, which we got you... from them a couple months Finally. back. Finally. Uncommon Goods is, well, honestly, you just have to check it out. It's an online shop filled with unique, totally unexpected gifts. And when I say unexpected, I mean truly original things you won't find anywhere else. Uh, like I said, we mentioned, we always mention that because Lorenzo just loves to put out a cheese wheel. Yes. And uh, that is the one thing about entertaining tomorrow night that's completely, I don't even have to think about because Lorenzo's got it all handled. Yes, all the dishes and chine, I mean, the, the, everything, glasses. But he's got his everything. cheese wheel and everything. Yes. Thanks to Uncommon Goods. And um, mm. so, and I know he can't wait to show it off because actually I think this is the first time we're using it with company. It's yep. personalized. It's got our initials on it. It's gorgeous. We love it. Anyway, if you're getting bombarded with wedding and bridal shower invites and want to step up your gift game, Uncommon Goods has creative, personalized, and really fun gifts for couples, especially couples who already have everything, such as we. We. Such as we. Uncommon Goods is also introducing Uncommon Experiences. Choose from live online classes in mixology, cooking, flower arranging, and embroidery from hand-picked artists and experts. That's actually really cool. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They don't sell products made with leather, feathers, or fur. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2 million to date. So... To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash TLO. That's U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash TLO for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary.
It'll be great because we can use all the stuff we have. I always think of your mother. She had such a funny joke. She had a wonderful sense of humor. She remembers where she'd say, oh, you gays have lovely things or something yeah, like that. You gays have everything. <laughs> it was just because it's true. And I, I do like to have things. I like to entertain in a way. Like you, it does remind me of my mother. My mother was kind of the same way. My mom was like the extreme. She even had pillows just for guests. You weren't supposed to touch them. It was just for guests. Yes. <laughs> I don't go that far. But no, we I, don't go that far. But we... We do have things that we say for entertainment. So anyway, we'll be fun. Yeah. So this week we're going to do a little bit of TV talk. Uh, first, I um, you never hear me talk about you. All, well, if you ever hear me talk about binge watching, it's always how mu- I hate binge watching. It's not something I like to do. I like to let f- TV shows unfold and blah blah blah. But I'm. Um, we were coming back from Las Vegas and we were on the plane and, um, you know, they had free options to watch things on the plane. And I started, we didn't, we never subscribed to Apple TV plus. We just felt like, Oh God, there's so many streaming services. Do we really need to be a part of it all? Blah, blah, blah. But, uh, they had shows from Apple TV plus on, on the menu on the plane. And so I watched the first two episodes of for all mankind, which is an Apple TV plus drama, which, you may not have heard of because it doesn't really get the kind of press mm. uh, we would, I, I would think a show like this deserves. The reason I'm bringing it up now is because it is one of the many shows that got snubbed this year for the Emmy nominations. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But I did want to talk briefly about this show because I don't, I did binge watch two full seasons of it in the space of 10 days, which is not like me at all. And I don't want to overstate the comparison to Mad Men, which right. to date I would still consider a more adult and more nuanced and more literate show than For All Mankind actually is. But um, it it is the kind of show... Let me just give you the premise. If you were to watch the first two episodes, you might be... Uh, lulled into thinking it is a take on the right stuff, the uh, story of the space age, you know, the space program in in the 1960s. And that is where it starts. Uh, Without going too deep into what actually happens, though, in the first episode, in the first 10 minutes of the first episode, actually, um, you find out that this is an alternate take on that history. There is one... um, factor one event that changes the course of history mm-hmm. for this timeline so to speak and it, so the space program unfolds in a different trajectory and at a different speed because of it i'm actually going to give you because it does happen in the first 10 minutes i am going to give you what this you know event is which is uh the landing on the moon in 1969 uh in this version it's russia who gets to the moon before the united states does um, and then the entire uh, program picks up from that point and extrapolates a history from that point. Uh, it's not some big science fiction thing at all. It is actually really, you know, based in the actual space program of the 1960s, and it posits certain things that m- might have unfolded differently because mm-hmm. of this. Um, and the reason I compare it to Mad Men is not because it's a 1960s period. It's actually mostly, the first season is mostly set in the 1970s. Um, but it's not that it's like this mid-century period drama about husbands and wives, although part of it is that. It's because 
the cast, it's one of those shows where in, in the first few episodes, you think you know who the cast is. You think you know what the focus of the show is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then as the show develops, it starts showing you other corners of the cast and, and introducing you to people that you didn't even think they were going to pay attention to. Um, and over time, by the time you get about midway through that first season, you realize, wow, there's so many storylines going on. There's so many people with agendas and things. And and there's a real clarity to the writing. Um, Ronald D. Moore is the um, showrunner and the, and the producer of the show, and he also created Outlander. And before that, he created Battlestar Galactica. Like, he, Galactica. like he's got his bona fides. And before that, he worked on, I think, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And there's that sense of professionalism, someone who really knows how to use television to tell a story week to week to week. Um, anyway, what I, and I watched the whole thing, got really yeah. excited, and uh, the I, I'm not going to give any more uh, spoilers, but the second season finale, the reason I really wanted to watch the rest of it after catching those first two episodes is because I know a lot of television critics who had covered the show said, oh my God, the second season finale is a total game changer, one of the best, blah, blah, blah. And I got to say... That is one of the best episodes I've seen in the last 10 years. The second season finale is phenomenal television. And it just aired, I think, in like April, which means it should have been nominated for an Emmy. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't gotten, you're halfway through the first season. Because I finally got Lorenzo to to start watching. For at least a week, I was like, Lorenzo, I'm pretty sure you're going to love this. That's when I know it's great because, first of all, you're always watching it. You never do that. I never do that. Uh, when and you, I kept turning and looking, and you were watching the same thing. I could hear the voices, the characters, and I'm like, he's watching this nonstop. So that's a first. That's that's my way of knowing that right. I I have to watch whatever he's watching. And you kept turning and saying, you have to watch this. You're gonna love it. And I was like, all right, later, maybe later, maybe later. And then I finally watched it, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, and I actually tweeted about it and I said it's it's very, it's Mad Men great and by that I mean that it's that type of show that it's first of all it's it's sophisticated the writing is extremely sophisticated the visuals are gorgeous the lighting is great the yeah. costumes are amazing art direction all of that yeah. is top notch it is slow in the beginning just like Mad Men I remember Mad Men the first exactly. two episodes of Mad Men were very slow and boring um, and when you think about the people at the end of Mad Men that the show was focusing on, a lot of them were not people that the show was focusing right. on in the beginning of Mad Men. And you need to keep that in mind. That is yes. why I make that comparison, because I, I don't want to give anything away. But by the time you get to the second season, you realize, wow, this is not what I thought it was which going to be. Which is actually really it's like great. an actual life. You know, yeah. people moving on and people, whatever, dying or... or going away, doing other things. I mean, I I love all the characters. I think the way they approach women, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do bring up the, you know, how hard it is for women to work and get an opportunity and all that. I mean, it's all there. But, but it's at the same, not Mad Men-esque. It's a know, different way of approaching that right. story. And because it's, it's an alternative uh, life or reality. Alternative history. Or history. Uh, it does take an interesting take that you actually wonder Exactly. I don't want to give anything no, away. I don't want to say anything over, but I was like, wow, what if, you know? Right. Now, again, anyway. and I also don't want to lead you into thinking that there are these wild, crazy, it's very much a recognizable world. It's very much recognizable as the 1970s that we live in. Um, it's not some crazy science fiction alternate, like the Nazis win no, World War II kind of take. Listen, I don't that, like sci-fi. It's not like that. 
it's it's minor minor changes that are then very thoughtfully unpacked in the writing in a what if sort of what if the russians landed on the moon first how would america react to that what if america did this and then what if russia did that you know so and then what happens is there's because of if you looked at the real um space program in the 1960s it actually did foment uh in some ways social change and um technological change uh, in a million different ways. And that the show was very aware of that. So when it makes slight alterations to, to the timeline, it also makes slight alterations to how society changes because of it. There are just little bits here and there that are really thoughtful ways of looking at history and, and supposing a, a slightly different take on it. That's all. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, the only other thing I'll say about it is, again, like Mad Men, um, it really takes characters that you didn't think had stories and then takes them on these journeys. That And some of them, it's like, wow, I had no idea this was who this person was going to wind up being when I was first introduced. Not in the same way like Peggy Olsen in the first episode of Mad Men. You could not predict that she would be the Peggy Olsen at the end of Mad Men. Um that sort of thing. The characters go on a real journey. It's and it's only been two seasons. I'm pretty sure it's been renewed for a third. Um, there's only, I believe, ten episodes in each season. Although the episodes are long, they're like an hour and twenty minutes. No commercials, a lot of them. Uh, but it's worth your time. I, if you have Apple TV Plus, I would uh, absolutely recommend that you watch it for all mankind. And if you don't have Apple TV Plus and you're looking for something new, I would recommend it. Like, this is Tilo recommended in a high level. It is very satisfying. I mean, you finish an episode and then it's just finishing a meal. Yes, it's yes. just this perfect, rounded, everything about it. Uh, some I still remember some specific episodes and, and the dialogues and, and the acting and, and the performances. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's great. Uh, it's slow sometimes but you know fast sometimes you right, know it's just right. it, it's not the same it lets that path. story yeah. unfold right um if you don't mind i'm gonna jump ahead because you gave me a really good jumping off point before we get to the emmys i'm gonna give my loki mm-hmm. rant um because you actually said something that really ties into why i had such the loki finale aired this week loki season one finale which you only found out at the end that there was going to be another season and I hated it. And I knew, I knew, because I watched it like six o'clock in the morning my time. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be, um, I wasn't going to get a lot of backup like that. I, I, I could tell that a lot of people were going to love it. A lot of critics did seem to love it. But it seems to me that the cr- people who loved it most were the people who were most tied into the whole MCU thing. And you could argue that at this stage in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're either all in for the whole thing or you might as well not get on board. It's all interconnected. It's a bunch of different movies and now it's a bunch of different TV shows and they all feed into each other and stories continue in entirely different media with entirely different characters picking up on things that happen, you know, which is exactly what happened with Loki. It, um, it, led to a climax in which there was no climax in it was it was the definition of anticlimactic and i will say that this was clearly a deliberate choice on the on the creators of the show on their part this was a swing that they were taking it wasn't 
a mistake in the script. I they were well aware that they led to this big climax, and then they sat the three characters. They sat the two main characters down to listen to a brand new character talk for twenty five minutes. That's not how you do a finale. So I will give them credit for taking that big swing and knowing it. And I understand on some level why they took that big swing, because they had Jonathan Majors coming in, who just got nominated for an Emmy for Lovecraft Country, and revealed himself in this huge monologue to be this, oh, the cats were chasing each other, <laughs> to be the big bad guy. They introduce him, and they just hand the entire final episode over to him, and he does give this amazing, you can't take your eyes off him kind of performance. Total maniacal, well, not maniacal, but crazy mastermind who, if you pay attention to casting news for Marvel, you will know that he has been cast in uh, the next Ant-Man film, which doesn't come out for another two years. That's kind of gross. It hasn't even started shooting yet. Um, So there's that. And also, it is because of the way the episode ended with Sylvie, the female Loki, pretty much blowing up the sacred timeline... Uh, everyone is assuming, and this is a fair assumption, that this whole thing leads into the next Spider-Man film and the next Doctor Strange film, both of which are coming out, I believe, within the next year. I think Spider-Man comes out at the end of this year, and Doctor Strange is like next March or something like that. And they both have to do with the multiverse and, and alternate timelines and so on and so forth. What are you doing? I'm just looking for stuff. Okay. Um, he's fiddling with his phone while I'm talking. Uh, so it, there's no climax. There's no resolution. It's all leading into season two of Loki, which I don't even know when, if that's even shooting. Like that's obviously at some way point way down the road, but also it's apparently leading into at least three other movies, which are being released over the next year or two. Um, that's a little bit too much as far as that's a little bit. It's one thing for WandaVision to end and to make you think, well, she's going to be in the next Doctor Strange film and we'll see how that works out. But for Loki to end and have it just split off into four different properties that we're now going to have to watch to see what happens next, uh, I'm not really into that. And I've been a big champion of the whole Marvel style of interconnected stories. But this was, a, for me, a wholly unsatisfying experience to watch it. And... People who were defending it were saying, well, you know, it's a cliffhanger. It's, you know, it's the finale of a season, not the finale of a series. And there have been plenty of cliffhangers. And that's true. But Lorenzo said something about For All Mankind, which really, uh, again, I'm not going to get into any specifics about story, but the season finale of season two ties together a whole bunch of stories that took several seasons to tell. And it still leaves you wanting more when it's all over. You can bring characters to some sort of emotional arc, some end or some resolution to an emotional arc and still have a cliffhanger. Um, There are certain things about the storyline that could have been resolved or answered or brought to some form of, you know, closure, and you still could have had the timeline blow up at the end and everything. But there's nothing. There's no explanation for anybody's fate. There's no explanation for certain people's next background. I don't even know where certain characters are at the moment. We're like, where's Gugu and Batha Raw's character? I don't even know where she went. Where's one Mimasaka's character? I'm sure that if I watched it again, those questions would be answered. But nothing was 
resolved. It was all like, oh, well, you'll just have to wait, true believer. And I hated it. I hated it. I, uh, I, I don't like this whole movement now that mo- a lot of shows are about the next project. It's not about the actual project that you're watching because they have other things going on. Right. They have other you know, movies or, or I don't know, spinoffs or whatever. And they don't focus on whatever they're doing at the moment. I, I, I don't like that. I don't like this idea that, oh, don't worry. This will be explained three movies from now. Right. <laughs> type right. of thing. Why? I Yeah, it's just I don't mind that the MCU was all interconnected. And I'm very much on top of what those, those connections are, which is why I knew what was happening in the final episode here. I knew that he's eventually going to be playing Kang in in. Ant-Man, and I understood the implications of this character showing up, but I was like, really? We're gonna, we're just gonna set up the next several projects? We're mm-hmm. not gonna resolve anything about... And actually, the other thing that I really didn't like about Loki, I have to admit, was um, he. they took a character who was all about plans and schemes and deception, and uh, they made him purely a character who stands by and reacts to everything. Ne- never once in the six episodes of this season did the lead character, Loki, act like Loki. Like, he never had a plan. He never had an idea of what was happening. He just stood open-mouthed and watched other characters do things. Um, and that's that's a really boring way for that character he's supposed to be a mastermind like i know the the series made the very valid point that he loses all his schemes never pan out um because that is the nature of his character but that doesn't mean he doesn't have like loki is someone who constantly is moving on to the next deception the next lie and i'm not just extrapolating that that is well established over like six or seven films in in Thor Ragnarok, which was his last major appearance, um, that was unpacked in the movie, in the script, where he literally cannot help but be deceptive and move on to the next plan. Um, so I just hated this version of the character that had no plan, had no, and never was proactive at any point in the story. He was always at someone else's mercy watching someone else do something. Um, so yeah, I didn't love it. I really did not love it. Uh, I'm all in on the MCU. There isn't a, a part of it that I haven't, everything, like literally every movie I've Mm -hmm. seen, every TV episode I've seen. I mean, I gave up on like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because, well, that sucked. Uh, and it stopped being the MCU. But even so, I'm all in. I get the connections, but I found this the most underwhelming of the Disney. And what's crazy is... A lot of critics are like, oh, yes, this is the best, the best out of the Disney Plus. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, no one's topped WandaVision, not yet. That one is the best. It, I didn't like certain things about the way it ended, but that one was clearly the best, which hmm. leads us to our final topic, since I'm done ranting about Loki. Uh, I would love to hear what y'all thought of the Loki thing and what you thought of what I said about the but Loki thing. But you did thing. like a couple of things about Loki, because you kept telling me... Yo, you should watch it. I think I might. did, but I didn't like the way it wrapped up. There were parts leading up to it that were very imaginative. I loved mm. the art direction. There was a certain sense of humor to it. And Tom Hiddleston's never not good in that role. But um, where the story wound up, I hated. Mm. Anyway, um, 
WandaVision is a good segue into the Emmy nominations, because I was thrilled to see that WandaVision actually secured quite a few. Which is nice. Um, listen, I I have said all along about the Marvel product that it is the equivalent of a cinematic amusement ride. It's not, it's not high <laughs> art in most cases. However, if you want to reward smart television writing and good television acting, I... I don't see how you could ignore WandaVision. Um, so it's an historic thing because it was the first MCU property to get that kind of um, major award consideration. Uh, so Paul Bettany was nominated and um, Elizabeth Olsen was nominated. And I'm thrilled to see that also Catherine Hahn was yes, nominated. absolutely. Uh, all three of them fully deserved amazing, nominations. Yeah. Some of the most talked about perform- television performances in the mm-hmm. last year. I just don't see how. And the creativity and the series itself, unlike, say, I don't know, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier or whatever, the WandaVision was, strangely enough, uh, a love letter to the medium of television and the history of television. So how could the Emmys not reward it? Right. Um, so that was great to see. Uh just leapfrogging over to the next bit of of Emmy's coverage is the <laughs> fact that Don Cheadle um, was nominated for his guest starring role in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And this brought on quite a bit of confusion because he's literally in it for only two minutes. Um, he's Don Cheadle and he's great. And he's been playing Rhodey uh, in the MCU films for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight films now. So he knows, again, he knows the character really well. It was a pretty good scene. It was him and, and Anthony Mackie talking about, I mean, the subtext of it was about being a black soldier in America mm-hmm. um, and being a black hero in America. So it was good, but it was two minutes of screen time. And even Don Cheadle tweeted out that he was kind of confused about why he got it. Now, other uh, critics and commenters have pointed out that a lot of these um, uh, these guest nominations mm-hmm. and stuff like, for guest starring roles or uh, that sort of thing, um, they'll go for the first, the most recognizable name. They're you know people in these nominating committee they they don't watch everything that they nominate, yeah. so they're like they go down a list of guest stars and they're like, oh, Don Cheadle, I love that guy, he's nominated. <laughs> And that's usually how something like that happens. Now, before I turn over to you, because I'm sure you've got notes, I can see your notes. Before I do that, I just want to say, overall, I was really pleased with the Emmys nominations this year. It was diverse in the best sense of the word. I, and and what I, what I mean by that is it wasn't just racially diverse. It, um, it had a diversity of, uh, Topics and opinions, genres, points of right, view. Right, right. Uh, there was, you know, some some science fiction and superhero and and sci-fi and um, horror stuff got in the mix there that doesn't normally get recognized. People like Michaela Cole, who got snubbed by the Golden Globes for "I May Destroy You," she got a lot of love. MJ Rodriguez made history as the first trans yes. actress to be nominated in a major uh, yeah, it, uh, acting award. She's the first trans woman as, as a lead ca- uh, acting category yeah. uh, because we, we can't forget Laverne Cox. She was also nominated. In supporting. But, yes, yeah. exactly. So, so uh, there's a lot about the uh, Emmys this year that I think pleasantly surprised a lot of people um, that there were good choices made. But as with every year, there are snubs. There are some, and there are some um, nominations like Hugh Grant for uh, The Undoing. But then. But not Nicole Kidman. But not Nicole Kidman. I was just about to say that. Yeah, what? 
Like I didn't. If you have to pick one, Nicole Kidman, of course. I guess, but I, I guess the idea was Hugh Grant was so charming. And no, because he was mad and he was crazy. I, you know, oh, I can't not that I it. listen. I, I understand that. Uh, it's weird that he got nominated and she didn't get nominated, but I can't really argue that she should have gotten nominated no, for that role because I, she played, right. it was such a Nicole Kidman walking in her sleep <laughs> kind of role. She's a stressed out, wealthy white woman, high strung. <laughs> oh my God. Like that's, she just falls back on those roles a lot. Yes. And um, she didn't bring anything interesting to it. The most interesting thing about it was her coat. Everybody talked about her coat. So <laughs> remember? Um, uh Happy for um, Kate Winslet, of course. Yeah, and like, it's going to be tough. Who else is in that category? Oh my God! Yeah, that's going to be tough because it's it's um, um, what's her name? Annatella Joy. Uh, uh, it's Michaela Cole in my, I may just this is best actress in a limited or anthology series or movie. Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You, Cynthia Riva for Genius Aretha, Elizabeth Olsen for Wan, WandaVision, Anya Taylor Joy for The Queen's Gambit, and Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown. I feel that it's the last three: Elizabeth Olsen, Anya Taylor Joy, and Kate Winslet. Well, it's going to be Kate. You don't know that. You don't know that. They all love the show. They also all love The Queen's Gambit. And WandaVision was a big sort of... True. Uh, It was a big deal. That's tough. I feel bad for Anya. But she won a bunch of things She won a bunch of things. I think it's likely to be Kate, but I think the three of them could fight it out. Um, I don't think Cynthia Erivo is... No, but I'm glad she was nominated. And Michaela Cole, I, I don't know that she'd get it for acting um she might get it for the other you know i may destroy you was up for a bunch of awards so. i mean oh how about ewan mcgregor for uh halston that's just i didn't get that um He's and who good. else is in his category well the hamilton people and uh i forget their names and um who all else? right it's paul bettany for there wandavision hugh grant for the undoing ewan mcgregor for halston lin-manuel miranda for hamilton and Leslie Odom Jr. for Hamilton. To my, my way of thinking, this is Paul Bettany. Nobody else is... Right, right. Um, I, Ewan McGregor was very good in Halston. Um, uh, the highest compliment I could pay is what I said when we were watching it. I turned to Lorenzo at one point and I said, I keep forgetting he's not gay. Like, right. he's so good at playing right. gay. But, I mean, you don't you don't necessarily hand out awards for that. And I, I think... I like Ewan McGregor a lot as an actor, but I think sometimes um, he falls back on his own charm. Mm -hmm. True. And and I, even when he was playing kind of an asshole like Halston, I feel like he was falling back a little bit on his own charm. Uh, So I didn't feel that it was some incredible performance on his part. Um, Hugh Grant, we already said, not worth it. And Lin-Manuel and Leslie Odom Jr., I'm sorry, I don't think Hamilton should have been nominated for anything. Well, they're all for, talking for about it, it's not an actual movie, right? TV movie. It's it's a play. It's, it's a recorded play. And it's also wildly, wildly over-rewarded right. at this point. And this is five years, six years past I its debut understand. on the yeah. stage. It's like, can we please move on from Hamilton? I know that for some people that's blasphemy, but... Uh, I don't feel that it needs to be soaking up Emmys. It's the same thing. I feel the same way about This Is Us. You know, all these shows. Come on, people. Well, at least that's a television show. I know. But but let's just move on. Move on. Um, Happy for Catherine Hen. I'm sure she's going to win. Who else is in her category? Oh, Jean Smart for uh, Mayor of Easttown. And um, who else? Um, Philippa Sue, uh, Hamilton, and then Renee. Oh, a ton of uh, Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, Who else? 
Philippa Sue and Renee Elise Goldsberry and who else? I'm, what, what what category? You're scrolling through and I'm not. It's supporting actress for a TV movie or, or, or limited series. Oh. Anyway, I just thought of Catherine Hand because I'm sure she's going to win. Um, and I'm, I'm happy. And, you know, it's fine if. Wait. Okay. So the other nominees are, I mean, I just feel like we should fill it in. So supporting actress in a limited series or movie, Philippa Sue Hamilton, Renee Elise Goldsberry Hamilton. Check them both off the list. Absolutely not. Gene Smart, Mayor of Easttown. I don't know, Monty, Lorenzo. That is, um, that is, I'm, I'm much discussed. Right, uh, performance like the critics really loved her. I, Jean Smart's got to win something this year. Well, I, so I, I think she's a con- contender. Then there's Julianne Nicholson in Mayor of Easttown, who was, you know, I would argue she gave the sort of Olivia right. Coleman performance of that that show, which is true, and she's amazing. She's amazing. She, she did a phenomenal job. Much as I love Catherine Hahn, and she is probably a favorite. I think it's hard looking at Jean Smart and Julianne Nicholson and and just assuming Catherine Hahn's going to get it. Right. That I don't. Think. But everyone was talking about Catherine, so I don't know. That's my my opinion. We'll see. So anyway, great nominations. I'm happy for a lot of people. Uh, they also talk about Pedro Pascal. Is that Pascal? How you pronounce the last name? Um, didn't get nominated, right? For the, or the Mandalorian, Mandalorian, which. Actually, The Mandalorian got a lot of nominations, but he didn't. He that's he doesn't wear the costume, right? Oh, true. You know what I mean? Like he does a great job with the um, vocal performance, but it is a composite performance with one actor in a costume and the other person doing the vocals. So I can kind of see why there's some. hmm. Um, Samantha B was shut out of uh, talk, which kind of sucks because right. it's such a boys club and she does distinguish herself with really good work it's always the same people the same shows over and over again the same thing with the reality tv uh, program same drag shows race over. drag race drag race and uh, or or the other you know usual stuff yeah so, so yeah um we just want to talk about lead actress in a comedy series which is Aidy bryant for shrill kelly cuoco for the flight attendant which a lot of people said it's not really a comedy series Allison Janney for Mom, Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish, and Gene Smart for Hacks. I am fully on the Gene Smart train. Of course. No fact, doubt. Yeah. I don't see how anybody else wins. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, maybe A.D. Bryant would be a favorite for Shrill, but I, and Allison Janney, I mean, Mom ended, it was its final season, and Allison Janney, you know, you get a certain momentum when you start picking up Emmys and Oscars, they just start handing, like look right, at Don right, right. Cheadle getting nominated for right, no reason. Right, right. So it could be, but I really, really hope it's Gene Smart. No, it has to be Gene Smart. It has to be Gene I've, Smart. I've been watching the show again, and she's just phenomenal. She, it has to be her. Yeah. Um, uh, Ted Lasso got an insane amount of I love. I know. I have an to watch insane amount show. of it. I have to watch it. I, I, I guess another show I watched on the plane because they had all these Apple TV Plus offerings, and I, I do. I see the appeal. I, Lorenzo, I do think parts of it you're going to think are really, really funny, especially, um, what's her name? The Hannah, um, the woman who we just featured on our site today. Um, I forgot her name. Um, Hannah Wadding. Wadding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're going to love her. Um, and I, I think Jason Sudeikis is great in it as well, but it is that sort of uh, it's I, I always classify it as millennial comedy, although Jason Sudeikis isn't a millennial. Um, that sort of super, super earnest millennial comedy. Now, Schitt's Creek was the same thing, and I loved Schitt's Creek, although the one thing that annoyed me over time was that Schitt's Creek sometime did get sugary sweet. 
And Ted Lasso is just a very earnest, uplifting, comedic show. Mm -hmm. The cast is really good. Uh, The scripts are really funny. But I am so Generation X cynical that it doesn't really land for me. I understand it. I understand the appeal of it. I have no criticisms of the show, but it's it's not my favorite style mm. of comedy. It's just very earnest and uplifting. And mm. it's smart, though, I have to say. There's some smart commentary in there. There's some very sharp, witty writing. And the cast is just uniformly fantastic. So I've only watched handfuls of it here and there. But I understand the love. I truly do. Uh, and one of these days, I'm going to get caught up on it because I feel like we need to... At the very least, everyone talks about it, you know, right, and it right, could right. it could wind up sweeping the Emmys. Um, also, Emmeline Paris. <laughs> I know. God. What the hell? I don't even. Oh my god! I can't. Come even. on, people. No, seriously. Um, but let's that, I think see. That's it. Do we? Have, uh, I think that's all the opinions we have for now. But please, people, no Hamilton. No, no Hamilton. <laughs> um. Yeah, supporting actor in a limited series of movies is David Diggs, Jonathan Groth, and Anthony Ramos, all for Hamilton. Absolutely not. It's a ton of Hamilton. Um, I would rather see Evan Peters get it for Mayor of Easttown because I really thought that character was heartbreakingly charming. Um, I wish they had... Oh, I know a lot of people are mad. I haven't watched it. And it's, again, it's TV that I really have to get caught up on, which is the Underground Railroad on Amazon, which is so critically acclaimed. But um, nobody in the cast got nominated, which a lot of people are upset about mm. that. Um, I think it's a combination of, I don't know, there's so much TV now, so many there's platforms. There's so much, uh, I know. There's a lot. I mean, you, you choose a channel, and each channel has like at least five, six right. shows. HBO Max, Peacock, right. Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it's just lot. some Hulu. Um, Which is great, but it, it's not like the old days when you you'd watch everything. You know now. No, there's <laughs> no monoculture. The yeah. And then one more notable thing is that uh, Lovecraft Country got some notable love. Mm-hmm. Um, Journey Smollett got nominated. Jonathan Majors got nominated, and um, the two leads. And the show was canceled by HBO, so that was somewhat bittersweet. I think. I gotta say, I. Uh, Lovecraft Country, I I can't argue with those two nominations. Uh, Journey and Jonathan were both great in the show. There's a lot about the early episodes of the show that was exciting and inventive. But I, and I fully recognize that as a white critic, I don't have a lot of room to unpack this or to offer this as a criticism. But by the time you got to the end of the season, I just felt like it was a lot of uh, gratuitous black trauma. It was just a lot of trauma being visited upon black bodies over and over and over again to the point that I was like, this feels like it's losing its way. Uh, it, it started off what what felt like a celebration of black culture living under Jim Crow, and then it just turned into black body horror in a lot of ways. Um, th- those cast members were completely tortured over and over and over, m- several of them. Um and several of them were killed by the end of the first season. So it, I was just, it left a sour taste in my mouth. Uh, what started off as a fun adventure show, I don't mind that it got dark in its examinations of racial his- the United States' racial history, but mm-hmm. um, it was better off when it was doing like Indiana Jones style or Haunted House style, but then it turned into this very, very dark uh, and violent take that I just 
didn't love. And I, it wasn't just that they, there was a two-spirit indigenous character that was so badly mishandled that it really sort of turned me off mm. the whole show. Um, they just wrote this character badly. And then the fate of this character, I just was like, what? did nobody mm. see the problems of what they were doing here? So, <clears throat> pardon me. A lot of Lovecraft Country was really great in the beginning, and I'm glad that it's getting some love. But I can't really say that it was any great tragedy that it got canceled because it really fell apart in the final few episodes. Yeah. And um, it just wasn't very good in the end. That's my take. Yeah, but- what, I, what I like about the, some of these nominations is that they picked a little bit of, of every show, except for some shows that got a ton. But like, for example, Matthew uh, Reese for, um, what's the show, uh, Perry uh, Mason, mm-hmm. which I finally watched because our friend was here taking care of our cats and he, he wanted to watch it. So I watched with him and it's really, really good. Yeah. I loved it. So happy for his nomination. Billy Porter for Pose, also great. Yes. Um, I feel like it's a momentum thing, though. Like, yeah. they just nominate him every year now. I'm much happier about I agree. MJ Rodriguez. I, I, I agree. But it, it does feel that sometimes, like, all right, it's time to just, you know, we have to nominate all these people because the show is going to win. Right, 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 um, right. But some more great. Uh, the same thing people were saying, that it's a little too late for the Handmaid's uh, Tale. That all these they nominations. suddenly got all these acting nominations. Right. All these nominations. Same thing with The Crown. Too many people, I think, were nominated. I do agree with Emma Corrin and um, Josh O'Connor, but the other I didn't ones, think Olivia Coleman deserved no. it. And I mean, Gillian Anderson, I, I knew it. I said it. Yeah. A, I've said it a couple times where I knew it was going to be a controversial performance. And I also knew that it was going to win a bunch of awards because it's so actorly. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre way to interpret Margaret Thatcher in right. this very sort of kabuki acting style sort of way. <laughs> but it's a fully realized performance from her eyebrows to true. her fingertips. You can, you just, you cannot take her, your eyes off her. She's really doing something right. there. What I, I, I think... With Gillian Anderson in The Crown, I think what she really was doing was a very theatrical performance, which probably would have been completely captivating to watch on stage, but was occasionally distracting on television. Right. Uh, Because there's so much mugging and facial movement and, you know, she had the hunched shoulders and everything. It was all very, very actorly. But the people who hand out acting awards really respect that kind of work. So I knew it. I knew she was going to get... Uh, it doesn't bother me. I do think Olivia Coleman. I love her to death, but I never thought she fully found no, her it wasn't footing. Her best uh, performance, I don't think so. And it's funny what you said about people getting nominated, like Claire Foy. <laughs> she read one line. She, I mean, come the <laughs> frig on. She read the speech. It's a famous speech, and it was about a five or to ten minutes. Well, it's probably only about five minutes, where she reads this speech, this famous uh, speech that Princess Elizabeth gave. Um, She's not so, made it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I don't think it really, all she had to do was mimic Queen Elizabeth. Like, I mean, I love Claire Foy too, and I also thought she was amazing in that role, but you don't need to reward her for showing up for 10 minutes. Um, anyway, these are our <laughs> thoughts. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I'm, I'm actually excited in um, some categories, especially because it's going to be tough to, to pick the best one because right. a lot of people, I mean, most of them were great. 
Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I can't uh, wait to see them on the red carpet too. I know. And we've got a Met Gala coming up in yes. September too. Wow. I'm really excited. I don't know how I'm going to handle all these red carpet now. <laughs> I know. I mean, Can just threw us into I know. a I'm tizzy. Like, wow. Is this every day? Yeah. <laughs> oh We're just yeah. not used to a July where there's all the, like Tilda Swinton's on a red carpet every day. Because Can is usually in May. Anyway, um... That is us this week, wrapping up our thoughts on the Emmys nominations, the snubs, and the people who who were really excited about their nominations. You must watch For All Mankind. You Mm -hmm. absolutely must. I have not implored you guys (laughs) to watch a show as hard as, as since Mad Men, I think. I don't think it's at Mad Men level. I still don't think it's at that level, but it is very, very good television. It's, it, I think it's excellent television. Um, it made me think, and, and I, you know when you watch a show and you just Ooh, love it's it. It's going to make you cry. It's I'm just, not even going to oh, tell it's you. It's so wonderful. It, oh, it's this. a great show. and it, it, It's one of these shows when you finish the episode, you're like, wow, I just want to hug everyone who did this. Cause yeah. it's so It's such cr- a meal. Yes. It's a full meal. It's creative. It's juicy. It's just all there. So, okay. Yeah. The Emmys, go watch For All Mankind and tell us what you thought of the Loki finale because I freaking hated it. <laughs> all right. Until next week when we come back with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks, we- stay safe and careful and we'll be back and love you and mean it. And bye-bye. bye-bye.